Well, hello there, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Tech Experience brought to you by Connection. James Hilliard here. Today, I'm joined by Connection's Penny Conway. You know her as our product manager for HP as a service, also as our Tech Experience podcast host. Penny, glad to have you on board here. Thanks, James. Good to be here in another seat. Yeah, and and glad to be uh, side by side virtually, of course. And we're both happy to have two guys from HP Federal on board. We've got their president, Todd Gustafson, and we've got their chief technology officer, Tommy Gardner. Todd, appreciate you taking time to join us here. James, good to be with you. It's a beautiful day in Boston, so glad to be with you virtually. All right, I appreciate it. And, and Tommy, uh, you as well, I appreciate you coming on board. We've got a lot that we want to, to go over in general for everyone. You know, about a half hour here, we're looking at securing and servicing the, the new normal. We'll probably say that a couple times as we go through this chat for the next 30 minutes or so. All of us are are going to be engaging here in a conversation of, of a conversation that's been out there for a while, right? We all know, especially in, in federal, but it goes across all verticals that, look, endpoints out there, PCs, printers, we need to secure those. Keeping those secure has been a growing priority. We've got some additional challenges, though, now brought on by the COVID pandemic. And so we want to talk about some of the challenges that we're seeing, some of the challenges that HP Federal team is seeing. Uh, we'll go over some of that. We'll talk about uh, you know what you can be thinking about. And we, we really hope the conversation looks like a, a primer for you and get some conversations started deeper within your teams out there. So before we dive into some of the challenges that you've heard specifically, Todd, say from customers out there, I want to talk about the HP Federal team, your team right? Shelter and place orders come in. You recognize there's some major changes going on here. Your team's going to have to execute and work with the federal government agencies, staffs, teams out there. And you thought, what? Well, first I was like, how long is this going to last, right? So we took that pause from a life perspective. But what was kind of unique, James, is that when I look across our federal team, we all as a organization had already been working from home. So this transition from a office to the home wasn't really a abnormality for our team. And more importantly, the majority of the team, including myself, had uh, environments at their home, which were already comfortable work environments. So we didn't have the challenges with distractions or on our in our bedroom or in our table. And as a result of that, I think we were well prepared to be able to engage with our customers. Our call center that is in Albuquerque, New Mexico, Now, that was a different situation where we had a thousand people coming into the office. One day they wake up, they're working at home. And depending upon their personal situation, we saw the most impact with them in terms of the devices, the connectivity, where they were working, their physical environment and distractions. And so I think we quickly adapted, James, but it was a little bit tougher road for those folks that were generally accustomed to uh, going to an office every day. Absolutely. And, and Tommy, as Todd's saying here, right, your team was was familiar with this, but I'm assuming you're sitting there 
from your position thinking, you know what? There are a lot of my federal customers out there that are not used to this. This is going to be a pain point. This is going to be something. I don't know what you thought it was going to be, but it was going to be something. Give me your thoughts on that. And, and then ultimately, what did they really struggle with? My experience over the past 10, 15 years in industry has been, we start at breakfast in the morning, you have meetings, you have meetings all the way through lunch. It goes through dinner. You get home at 9, 30, 10 o'clock, and it starts all over the next day. Even weekends are events that uh, you're at football games together. You're going out to the basketball game or the baseball game with customers, talking, kibitzing. It's, it's a full-time effort, and that stops. And so how do you transition from the face-to-face to the online video chats, the Zoom and the Teams and the Skype and the so forth? And, and it's a hard transition because people aren't used to it. Uh, there were some customers that picked right up on it. Others didn't. Uh, I think uh, some of our customers in the intelligence community had a really hard time because what they did was behind closed doors. It's very difficult to do that at home. And uh, they had to figure out ways to how, to how to work at home to do what they could do and go in on a rotating basis. We had researchers at HP Labs that, had to do the research where the equipment was, and they couldn't stop because it was ongoing time series research. And so they had to evaluate, okay, I'll be in at 2 a.m. to 5 a.m., and then somebody else is going to come in after me, so we're not there at the same place at the same time. So there was a transition, but I think we handled it quite effectively. That's my observation, is is that uh, I was really surprised. A majority of groups, teams, private sector, federal there weren't these major disruptions i didn't see them we didn't hear about them it wasn't that we i think we can all pat ourselves on the back and say we did a pretty good job now is a little bit of the reflective time and saying fine we did that good job tommy again from a little bit of a technology perspective and then i want to get into the idea of uh, buying and securing some of the technology that we need but did you see a lot of teams that were just woefully unprepared from a technological standpoint to now be working from home Well, I think you see that a lot of people have one computer at home and it's shared among the spouse, the kids, uh, sometimes the dog and the cat get involved. But, you know, it was one unit and they had to figure out, okay, you've got it from eight to nine. I'll take it from nine to ten. That type of sharing. And then when the kids come home and the average family and they're doing their studies from home, they're no longer just in the evening using the system. It's all day long. They need a system. And so the demand for new, not just personal systems, but printers as well, that you've got a high demand and a much higher use. The Internet's speed was critical at this point. I know a lot of people that were just scrambling to upgrade their Internet connection so they can handle the bandwidth requirements from five people on the same system at the same time. Todd, one of the easy things to do, run out to a big box store, get yourself a Chromebook, get yourself a, a HP book, get yourself any. But when we're dealing with federal workers, we don't want to do that necessarily because those systems are not the same as a secured system, something properly procured by those agencies. Talk to me a little bit about the challenge I presented and, and how you help teams work through that and understand, don't just go out and do that. That could open yourself up for danger. Yeah. You know, so when you think about the market and Fed, and this would apply for virtually all endpoint technology devices, about 60% of that workplace was already, or workforce was already 
buying mobile products. So they had a notebook, if you will, at their desk. They undocked it when they left the office and they headed back home and they had access to all the tools. And not only that, but that system, if you will, was appropriately hardened to be able to work in those remote environments. So you still had 40% of the workforce, government workforce, whether it was civilian intelligence, DOD, that had a traditional desk-based system with a traditional display and uh, keyboard. And all of a sudden, one day, they get an email that says the office is closed. And the government had a fairly significant amount of uh, workers that were effectively stranded because they didn't have access and the tools and the uh, underlying security infrastructure to be able to access their networks remotely from the home. So the first thing that we saw people go do is this rush to go out and buy notebooks. Unfortunately, you had a couple of things going on. One was that Intel was having their own challenges. We heard about that two days ago in terms of supply in the marketplace. That was number one. And then number two, you had this entire marketplace that was now uh, looking for mobile products or notebooks, and they didn't have access to it. On top of that, you saw another dramatic shift, which was where 20% of the marketplace was touch, touch your notebook, you do tactile functionality. And that shifted as well up to 80% of the marketplace. So you had these combination of factors that what I would say is stalled workers. But what we didn't see as much is that early judgment, let me run down to my local retailer and buy one of these devices. I actually saw a very measured approach in terms of security at the forefront of what the majority of these agencies or defense uh, went out and did. You mentioned Chrome, but and it's interesting, given that the Fed is primarily, a, from an endpoint standpoint, a Windows world, you did start to see Chrome become a viable tool in order for agents to take advantage of it. And what I would say is it ran defense, civilian agencies where they you're starting to see pockets where that infrastructure and that OS is becoming acceptable. Yeah, and James, I think uh, one of the things that people have to understand when they run out to the big box store is just because systems look the same, the external appearance, you know, you may have a little different color, a little different shape. You may have like a 14-inch or a 17-inch screen. They look the same. They are not the same inside. The design of these systems are unique. They are not commodities in any way, shape, or form. And so you have to be careful if you really don't know what you're looking for and you just pick the first thing that looks good on the exterior, what are you getting on the inside? What kind of security protections do you have? Particularly if you're working in government and you're going to use this machine on a government network and VPNN, what risk are you providing to your mission execution? And those type of questions really should be going through the federal workers mindset, as well as industry, because industry has the same risk. The attackers, particularly industry that's working in government spaces, there are advanced persistent threats that are targeting people because they can go on LinkedIn, find out where they work, recognize that they're supporting federal agencies, and they're on the list. I want to get back to some security threats and issues in a moment. Before we move on to that, Todd, one last idea here on kind of the devices, the endpoints. People did rush out, and not only was it getting devices, it was things like webcams to go ahead and have meetings and all those you just couldn't find. Still, there's a, a, an issue. Can you give us a, a little bit of an update on the HP supply chain and where things are and, and just kind of how that looks? And, and maybe if you want to broaden it out to the industry in general that you see and that you hear about, 
are more of these things coming back? Are we going to have more of a readily available choice in the near future? Yeah, so given that the majority of components come from Asia, what we first saw in the late January, February, certainly a good part of March was where our supply chain at HP was severely impacted. And what I would say is it wasn't just our ability to uh, manufacture notebook products, but rather it was suppliers along that entire supply chain in terms of whether their factories were up and running and What I would tell you is that a few months later, we are operating across the globe at full capacity. We most recently saw some news from IDC that published what was happening in the industry, what was happening to our competitors, and there was a significant amount of growth. HP, fortunately, was number one in the marketplace, showed them the most amount of growth. And part of that, I think, was the fact that we do as much business as we do in Asia We had a very early glimpse into what was starting to happen from a health standpoint, and we quickly started to bring in more materials, drive more capacity. And as a result of that, as factories started back up, we had the uh, the level of materials to go out and do that. You mentioned webcams and devices like that. The other thing that I would tell you is we did something kind of neat at HP. One part of HP that talks about what's happening in the future drives a study called Megatrends. And what Megatrends is, it looks at life on the screen, internet equality, health, you name it. It looks at all these different factors that could impact our business and impact the industry. And one of the early findings that we found was that from an ergonomic standpoint, the ability for someone to sit on an 11 or a 14-inch screen for 8 to 10 hours a day was incredibly challenging. And so at HP, right, 55,000 people we allowed every one of those folks that needed one to go out and buy a display and go out and buy a new chair. And because that was the two top things that we found out in our study in terms of how remote working was affecting individuals. And you see that same thing happening with the government. One last example is the VA. VA used to buy one dock, one display. In a majority of cases now, every notebook goes with two docks and two displays recognizing that they want to drive that ergonomic equality, whether they're working remotely or working in a uh, VA office. Penny, we're going to talk more. And I know you've got a couple of stories for us when we talk about uh, as a service uh, growth here. And we'll do that in a little bit. But some of the panic buying, Penny, I'm sure you got some of those phone calls of people saying, I need this, I need that. Has that abated a little bit? And, and what were you able to do? How did you walk you know, folks through that to like, hold on a second, calm down, we can get through this? <laughs> Yeah. I mean, of course, everyone, it was a little bit of a a mad grab for product. And I think we, we still see a little bit of that coming out of connection. But I think one thing I will say about, you know, us as a people, extremely resilient. I can't believe how fast, you know, us as a country have adapted to this quote unquote new normal. And I think that resiliency really opened up, you know, a period of time after that initial rush for our customers and the folks we were working with across the government, across public sector to just take a little bit of a breath, knowing that this might last, you know, longer than originally forecasted. And even if it doesn't, it's changed the way that we've worked. And we're seeing folks be a little bit more strategic in what they're thinking about. You know, like Todd said about using Chrome, pre-pandemic, no one was really in the government space looking to 
replace a Chromebook, but it opened up an opportunity to maybe not say no so quickly to a solution that you had a preconceived notion about. So it's it's actually given us the opportunity to have those broader conversations across you know, product type, product portfolio, OS, processor, where we didn't have that flexibility or the ear of our, you know, IT decision maker like we have now. So I think it's in the best interest of everyone when we look at it from a technology standpoint, the options that are out there. It's just knowing what you need the technology for and working with a team that can help you get the right solution, even if it's not what you thought it was going to be when you started out your journey. Tommy, I want you to comment on that for a moment here. And Penny brought up a great idea of resilience. I also want to talk in a moment, Tommy, about the resilience, unfortunately, of the bad guys. But what Penny just stated, share, what's your thoughts there? Yeah, I wanted to go back and comment on both Todd and Penny brought up the supply chain risk. And I uh, was placed two years ago on Department of Homeland Security's Supply Chain Risk Management Task Force, which is an interesting task force. It's made up of 20 members from the uh, communications industry, 20 members from the IT industry, and 20 members distributed across government in almost all phases of government agencies. So the 60 members are brought in SMEs and experts from other parts of industry and government. And I co-chair the threat evaluation task working group on the task force with a member from uh, T-Mobile and a lady from GSA. And it's amazing what really came up with in the threat to the supply chain. So two years ago, when we first formulated, we asked the 120 members of the working group to come up with your top five threats to your business, to your agency, into task. We thought we'd get 20, maybe 40 different types of threats we could categorize. We got 268 different threats. And that's a broad section out of a possible 600 you know, 120 times five, 268. So people think about this very broadly. There are some high level topics are very specific. A fellow from the NRC was very worried about a specific circuit card that went into reactor controls uh, to just big, broad topics of, of pandemics, which even came up the, a year before this happened. It was natural acts. And we listed hurricanes and tornadoes and earthquakes and tsunamis. And somebody said, well, what about pandemics? And, you know, okay, we'll list that too. Nobody thought about it. It's a near-term threat. But there's a very broad threat vectors that can impact your supply chain. And therefore, in communications and IT, it impacts operations and missions. And you have to be prepared. And uh, the NIST does a good job in a risk management framework to help you think through logically where you're willing to take risk and where you need to invest to prevent bad things from happening. And certainly in the cyber realm, that's where you have to focus to make sure bad things don't happen. Well, Todd, that's a perfect set into the idea, talking a little bit more about threats. I want to take a couple minutes and break it down into two areas. Where do you see the biggest threats in terms of now that we are working from home? I I saw a statistic shared with me from a contributor to the FBI that scams and threats just attacking us, the ransomwares and malwares, 350% increase in like the last four months or so. So there's that threat. There's also just the threat to our networks. We know, especially federal, we've got federal employees working from home now. 
They may not be on the most secure network that they were when they were bunkered and hunkered down in a beautiful concrete 1970s building. So (laughs) what are the big threats that you see out there and that kind of keep you up at night and thinking at night? How do we think about these and deal with these? I want to answer a different question that you asked me just a minute ago, which was about supply chain first. And I just a fun fact you can use uh, you can use tonight is HP right now is is building two and a half PCs per second. Two and a half PCs per second every day, 24 hours a day, and one and a half printers per second every day. So that gives you a perspective on the amount of material and scale of product that we're supplying globally. That sure does. Let me give you a a two-part answer is there was always this thought for a long time when it came to security that if we build this really big fence, multi-layer fence, if you will, then we will be secure. No one can get in. But the problem is that all of us have changed. Our work styles have changed. Our habits have changed. We're a mobile workforce. We're working. I'm uh, working on a Comcast network, whatever it may be, right? The access points have changed. And if you're a bad actor, you basically have a couple different choices. You want to take the really hard path and try to get in through a DOD network into their cloud infrastructure. Or do you want to take the path, the easiest path, right, which is find someone from an endpoint device that doesn't take the necessary precautions and go through that way or to go in through a a printer that's that's not secured on on your network. And where this gets a little bit heightened is I'll give you an example, which is the NDAA, National Defense Authorization Act, that was just passed last week. One of the things that they authorized was online marketplaces for our defense department. So think Amazon for business as an example, you know, wonderful company, no doubt, but they did that. And then on top of that, they raised the P card limit to $20,000. So the concern is that we potentially allow inferior devices that aren't secure to be purchased on a P card, put on a network and be oblivious, if you will, to potential impact to our government, right, to our security as a nation. And all of those hacks, the vast majority of them are happening at the endpoint device. And Tommy can talk a little bit about, we use a technology called Shure, S-U-R-E, and it's a multi-layer technology that's what we call built-in as opposed to bolted on. And we can talk a little bit about why built-in really matters. Educate us, Tommy. <laughs> the, the Shure family is a wide distribution that really has developed over a decades of technology research. That it seems like uh, every few years there's some new breakthrough that we can add to our products to make more secure. And that's only available because we're investing billions of dollars a year in HP labs to make our products more secure and guarantee the advanced persistent threat is investing the same amount of money, if not more, trying to get into our systems. So it's, it's a continuous game. And if you're not doing that investment, you have fallen behind and you are not going to catch up. Now, the type of things might be the self-healing bios. Many companies claim to have one, but they don't work as well or as effectively as ours. Within two minutes of a bios attack, a low jack attack, uh, we will detect it. We will flush the bios from memory. We will research a bios from a cryptographically secured chip hardware that's embedded in the machine, and you will be back up and running. If you went out to get a coffee break, you may not even know you were attacked. And so it's, it's a great system 
and it's not evident when you look at the machine, but it's that design and that intellectual property that's put into those machines that make them very different. We work it from below the operating system. We work with the software vendors in the operating system. And we even have products that have uh, what we call a sure view, but it's a, a protected screen. So if back when you used to fly on airplanes, the people to the left and the right of you sit in the cabin can't see what you're working on in the five-hour flight cross-country. It's also good in the office environment. So you can have some privacy on your screen. Only if you're looking directly at it within 15 degrees will you be able to see what is on the screen. The rest just looks like gibberish. I miss the flights. I don't miss the airport. I don't miss the hassle. <laughs> I do miss the flights. I miss the people. But that's another conversation, I think, for us. Uh, Penny, I want to jump back to you briefly here, because one of the things you brought out, not only our, our resilience, but you were talking a little bit about choice. And we do have more choices and people are evaluating things that maybe they weren't evaluating as much before. So within the federal space, have you seen an uptick in the as a service exploration? And what trends have you seen in, uh, again, we're talking a lot about securing end devices here and procuring those. So the printers and the managed print services and the device as a service. What, what uptick have you seen? What, what's coming across your you know, email chain and phone calls you're having? Yeah, managed print services in particular is an interesting one because I think, you know, if you're out there in the world, you automatically assume we're in this digital age, especially now everyone's working from home, we're collaborating on our screens. You know, the idea that do people even print anymore? Do they need paper? Are they using it? It's a little bit of a misnomer that paper is going away and that printing is going away. I think it's just changing. We're changing how we work and it's going to change how we engage with printing and, and all that comes with it. And what we're seeing in the federal space from a print standpoint is you know, not the traditional way that you'd look at managed print where I'm leasing a copier or I've bought a copier and I've got a phone number that I call when something goes wrong and I get my toner delivered automatically. That's a very traditional, you know, way to look at managed print services. But we're working, you know, I, I can't name any names or anything like that, but we, you know, worked with an organization within the, the DOD set and really were a project that they were working on to, it came down to security. You know, it was, we need to have a machine that's not sitting stationary in an office. We've got overseas projects that we're working on. This device is going to be serving overseas as well as here in the States. Wherever it is, whatever it's doing, we need to make sure that it's not vulnerable. And, you know, back to what Tommy was saying, you know, where, you know, having all of that built in security, it's your printers are basically a, a PC now. It's not just a printer. It's a PC without a screen. And so evaluating it in that way and making sure that the, the systems themselves are secure, the service, the as a service piece of that, the automatic toner, the, the repairs, that's almost becoming secondary. And it's a convenience factor on top of that. How is managed print services going to increase my security position for when I'm doing projects like this? So that's, I think, one of the really interesting things when we look at managed services from a print perspective is that it's not just about that auto toner delivery or the one guy you call. It's part of that larger security, you know, strategic initiatives that a lot of these folks within the DOD are taking. And so I'd say the landscape has definitely shifted. So even if you don't have all your workers back in, you know, those buildings from the 70s, there's so many other use cases for it. And that's where we're really seeing that direction go on the print side. 
Yeah, and James, the, the security architecture that we designed for our PCs are just as applicable to the print. So there's a synergy of the investment we're making in the billions a year to secure the PC. Every dollar of that is applying to print and even the 3D printers that we make. And so it's invest once, but apply to three different markets. And this is critical in the areas of how we're applying artificial intelligence or what we would call augmented intelligence into the security environment. So we're using a deep learning method, which is a convolutional neural network, to detect what would be a new attack, something that nobody's seen before. So instead of your common antivirus signature detection, we're now looking from what looks like it could be a problem. This is something new, but it has the same structure or DNA that previous attacks have had. Let's put it off in a sandbox and evaluate it, not let it infect the machines. The same thing we have, we're calling it SureClick Enterprise, but when you go to a web link, as many attacks formulate somebody who's curious, wants to click on something to download bail malware, it will bring in a virtual machine, a micro virtual machine, and that link will then deposit its software in a separate machine. It will not get to your hardware. And so when you click out of the browser, it's blown away, it disappears, no harm done. And those are the type of investments that can apply just as much to a PC as it will a printer. And even our 3D printers, the file security on a 3D printer, you better believe that the hackers want to go manipulate parts that are going to places like DOD, State Department, Interior, that they want to manipulate those so they're not the right part. They're they're not as strong and it's very easy to manipulate a file because they're standardized file formats. Well, we make sure that they're protected both in the machine and we validate the security of the file through hash mechanisms. It is a great process to protect our system. Encouraged is the word that's in my mind right now after uh, hearing this and, and chatting with everyone today, because one, it sounds like right the, the tools, the technology is there, but more importantly, and that has been there, but more importantly is the people are understanding that and focused on that. And it seems like this long conversation that that probably all of us here chatting today, it feels like a long conversation, right? We've all been talking about this, seeing these technologies, knowing what needs to be done for the last 10 years, 15 years, whatever. But it seems like it's finally kind of gotten to the end point, if you will, all the fleshy orbs out there that we are that are doing the day's business, realizing that, yeah, we can't. So, so I'm encouraged. That's what I'm going to walk away from this conversation with. But I want to go around the table and Todd, starting with you, then we'll go Tommy and we'll wrap up Penny with you. Your thoughts for, okay, we did have this major transition dealt with a major disruption from COVID. We have gone through the process of adapting to that very quickly as as Penny brought up brilliantly, the resilience that has been demonstrated. What's next, right? How do we not let our guard down? How do we keep driving this? Because new normal has been mentioned, but for me in, in technology covering this for the last 20 plus years, the new normal is something new every six months. Technology has just been driving that. And so I don't believe that we're at a new normal today because I know it's going to be different in three months. So talk to me, give us something to think about kind of going down the road. How do we keep the momentum going that we can do this work efficiently, work effectively, work securely? So I would say there's a couple interesting things. It wasn't that long ago that if you read in the Wall Street Journal or any technology news that 
the PC was dead. The days of the PC were over and numbered. And I think we can all remember those days. And the reality is that in the world now, you're going to, everyone is going to require a PC, right? It's going to become that new norm that folks are going to want some type of device, whether it's a Windows device, a Chrome device. And they, interestingly enough, still want that tactile functionality of a traditional keyboard and a traditional screen in a clamshell design. And there's good that comes from this. And an example outside of Fed is in the U.S., 52 million public school students, approximately 52 million. Just over half of those five months ago had access to a device. Quickly across the United States, every one of our youth are getting some type of device that they'll be able to be skilled at so that when they enter higher education, they enter the workforce, they have that technology background that enables us as an economy, as as a global player, to be more important. I think the other thing that you're going to find from HP that we're going to continue to build on is that PC is your personal device. While the government may supply that device, there's an aspect of that where you're going to be doing Zoom with your friends. You're going to be on Facebook or LinkedIn or Instagram, whatever tool that is. And then we need to provide that level of technology that recognizes that personal nature of it in terms of how the microphones are developed, how the cameras are built in, what, how long the battery life is. What does the security look like? I've been with HP for 33 years, James, and I am more excited about our future than I ever have because when you look at the innovation that's happening across our product suite, it's really pretty amazing. And we're very fortunate to work with a lot of government customers to, uh, to demonstrate that. Well, and you're echoing something I hear from anyone that's been in this industry 25 years plus. More and more these days, I hear, I'm excited again, right there. And it's because there's a a lot been going on. Now, Tommy, I'm not calling you old, sir, but I know you've been around for a little while as well. (laughs) So what say you to us? What do we think about what what's our kind of remember from Tommy moment here as as we look to wrap up shortly? I feel very privileged and proud to work at this company. I thank Todd for giving me uh, this opportunity. I've been in a number of places as a CTO in both government and industry and best company I've worked in so far, and I I never plan to leave. I am so proud of our CEO, Enrique Lores. He is so much a leader in the tech community and was the first one to step up and say, hey, if you feel at risk from this virus, don't go in. And then stop people from coming into work, telling people that they don't have to make a choice between the job and their personal safety. And uh, he set the tone in that. He's done that also in the area of sustainability, where we've made a large investment and recognized as one of the most sustainable companies in the world. And, you know, I never was a tree hugger growing up, but boy, I'm one now. And I'm so proud of the way our company has led efforts in that way. So if there's a takeaway from that, it's not just our security It's we have the best leadership and companies that are in the top Fortune 50, and we have a message of sustainability and corporate responsibility that that I'm proud to stand behind. Penny, last word to you. Excited is the word because, you know, I I started my focus on the as a service side, both the print and and device as a service, which I think is a whole conversation in itself for the Fed space. But, you know, about two years ago, 
And it was a lot of convincing. And I think that along the technology journey that, you know, we've all been on, we come up with these awesome technologies, awesome solutions, and you feel like you're trying to convince, you know, an organization that it's right for them, that it's going to change their world. And we're kind of at this tipping point where the managed services side of the world, specifically in public sector, we're seeing this convergence of public and private sector really come together where we can deliver more of those managed services, that they're more open to it. They're looking at, you know, where can we really get the best bang for our buck? You know, if we've got to manage these things, if we need to, you know, keep an eye on security, if we need to work on deployments, you know, let's have experts do that. Let's, you know, have the people that do that for a living and then let us protect the country because that's what we do. So I I think that it's an exciting time for the services side of the world. I think people are going to be really open to it because it's going to give a broader view of what's happening in their organization. It's going to offer cost savings. And ultimately, it's going to get rid of a lot of the tasks that have just taken up time where other resources can be given. So I think exciting is a great summarization of the new normal of the, the tech industry that we're about to see here. Well, that's where we'll end it. Penny, Todd, Tommy, appreciate the uh, conversation. Folks, again, one of our goals on all of these events is have a conversation and hopefully it sparks a conversation for all of you so you can continue those within your organization as you're reaching out to vendors, as you're working with your partners, you can have those conversations, move it forward, share your ideas and and thoughts. So uh, again, appreciate everyone taking time to join us here on behalf of the entire team at Connection, of course, HP Federal, uh, James Hilliard here. We do look forward to talking and sharing more with you on future tech experience podcasts.